0: I'm Director of Product Engineering at DigitalOcean and I'm here with Stefano uh, from Marlispoon to talk about a little bit about how uh, Marlispoon operates and builds the software and the platform. So Stefano, welcome. Thank you. Do you want to introduce yourself a bit further?
1: Sure, I'm Stefano. I come from Italy, from Venice, the beautiful city of Venice. I'm here in Berlin for three years um, and I work for Marlispoon for more than two years and a half. I started as a, as a developer, software developer Then I moved on uh, with a role as a team lead and then very recently I stepped up as a head of software engineering Um, and that's about it. I mean my day by day job I take care of the teams, I try to coordinate the teams, uh, try to help my my team leads growing and them help other team members grow. Um, and yeah that's what I do and that's great so
0: uh, having lived in Berlin myself I'm very used to Marlispoon but for our more international audience what are you guys up to what's the gist of the company and if you can tr- can give us some, some numbers to show the, the, the size of the operation you guys have
1: uh, yeah so Marlispoon is a meal kit company we are a subscription uh, business so you can subscribe and then every week receive a box full of ingredients uh, to cook your own recipes at home. We have a culinary team that actually develops a a different set of recipes every week and uh, you can freely decide how many recipes you want. Uh, If you want to skip a week, if you want to pause, if you want to resume, uh, you can decide when you are on holiday and yeah, you get the box at home. The market, the the, the ingredients are market fresh because we we work with local producers and yeah, I mean, uh, it's a, a way to reduce food waste and to bring back something of high quality back to the mm-hmm. people to let them enjoy cooking. That,
0: that's awesome. It sounds like you have a kind of a very interesting business model where you have the, the back office side getting from vendors and then yeah. how you repackage and yeah. prepare the recipes and send to, to yeah. consumers. So how do, you, how do you model your engineering teams to fulfill this kind of two-sided two um, yeah. company?
1: So, actually, our teams are, are shaped around uh, user flows mm-hmm. uh, to some extent. We have currently four teams. Uh, three teams are product teams. They are related to the product itself, and one team is actually it takes care of the platform of the infrastructure. Uh, and we can talk about it later because it's a bit peculiar. Um, the other three teams, we shape them around the user flows. So, we have a team that takes care of uh, customers that are willing to join, so new new customers, mm-hmm. uh, we call it the acquisition team because it's focused mostly on uh, marketing, uh, also provide some data insights for marketing, provide the best experience for new customers, uh, shorten the, the uh, subscription flow uh, and so on. Um, then we have a team that's actually focused on focuses on uh, the recurring customers so customers that are with us for for some time so it's the team that takes care of the functionality like editing your order pausing your subscriptions keeping a delivery uh, changing your address changing the time you want your box at home mm-hmm. uh, and then the third team actually takes care of what we could call the back office uh, in the sense that <clears throat> We, we do run our own production centers. We have warehouses all across the world and we uh, build tools also for the people that actually make the boxes. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, we have a tool that uh, tracks how many orders needs to be done, when, where, in which warehouse, uh, we help them organize the, the batches because we, we work a lot with, uh, with shippers and we work, let's say last minute, like we, we try to be just in time. Because of course the food is, is fresh and we want mm-hmm. to keep it as, like that. Um, so this team takes care of all these production related issues.
0: Right. And how do you um, how do you organise the teams? Do you have uh, kind of more end-to-end teams with maybe product managers, designers, engineers in the same group, or you have kind of isolated teams depending on the the um, skill set or area yeah. of expertise.
1: So um, it's actually uh, the, the, the the interesting thing about Marlespoon is that the the situation is always changing. We are very proud of the fact that we uh, we believe in owning the process and changing process and structure as we see fit. So. Uh, that's to say that when we started, we had an engineering team and a product team. Then at some point we realized that the communication structure wasn't working well enough for us to be, uh, productive and effective enough. So we actually, uh, put the product managers inside the teams. Mm -hmm. Then at some point we figured out that also the relationship with the designers wasn't good enough. And so we put the designers inside the team as well. So for a certain period of time, we had teams that were, uh, let's say, fully functional from that point of view. And then now, since we, uh, we are growing a lot, the team is growing, the product manager team is growing a bit more slowly and we, we have different needs. Like we, we are focusing more on product managers aligning with the rest of the business rather than with engineers, because the, pro- the, the relationship with engineers is really, really good right now. Mm-hmm. We, we move the product team outside of the team, the teams again, so they are their own team because we want them to also work as a team and not just be disconnected. Yep. And and then we are orienting them more toward uh, the business departments. So we have we, we have assigned a specific product managers to specific departments. And then internally, the, the team shuffles the, the, the work toward the, the, the engineering team. Right. Right. But it's a you know it's a situation that that can change every time because it really depends on where we see the problems.
0: Mm-hmm. And going a bit more down the technology side yeah. of things, what's your what's kind of your stack and architecture right yeah. now? Or, um, or maybe if you want to talk about how you evolved. Well, actually,
1: uh, let me answer the the last part of the, the of your question because I think it's also really interesting uh, speaking about engineers. So we do believe that. The, the main, the main goal of an engineer, the main role of an engineer is not writing code, but is actually running the system, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so we, we are trying to build a team where people don't feel responsible just for a s- small bit, but we want to build a team where people feel responsible for the whole architecture. Mm-hmm. Right? And we, to, in order to do this, we believe that people need to know how the system works. They need to have a feeling of how the, the whole system is working. So from that point of view, we don't um uh, the, the, the teams related to technology, for example. Mm-hmm. Actually, we, we, use, um, uh, we use a Kanban workflow. It's, it's based on Kanban. And since it's based on Kanban, uh, it, every time somebody runs out to work, they are free to pick new work from, mm-hmm. from the backlog. And the product managers basically just manage this backlog. They just prioritize things all the time in this backlog, which means that whoever is free should pick stuff from the top because that's the most important thing to do, right? And this doesn't play well with, uh, people that are very technology oriented, very mm. specific technology oriented. So we, we don't have this clear distinction. Between backend and frontend developers, no, we we do have people that are more skilled in backend or in frontend, but we try to broaden mm-hmm. their their scope of action all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from that point of view, we we try to uh, help each other a lot because we believe that's the best way to to grow. Yeah,
0: are, are you able to do that on mobile apps as well? Or you focus more. Mobile
1: on apps, them? it's a bit of a problem to be right. honest. Uh, it's not that easy because it's a very different kind of technology, different kind of mindset. But what we saw is that, for example, uh, we don't have a QA team. Mm-hmm. We don't have d- dedicated QA engineers. We we do like the developers do their own QA. <laughs> so from that point of view, there is a lot of interaction inside the team because we have a, uh, the retention team contains both back end, front end developers, and mobile developers. And while not everyone can help uh, code wise writing the code, but, uh, they help a lot each other with code reviews and deployments, for example. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of backend or front end developers that help with reviews and deployments of mobile code and, and the other way around as well. Right. Plus uh, there are, um, uh, there are mobile developers that are actually interested in learning more about, about Ruby, mm-hmm. about, about backend front end technologies and so on. Yeah.
0: So yeah, back to the, to the stack yeah. question that you mentioned Ruby. Uh, There's obviously like so many uh, consumer tech setup, You probably have a lot of focus on mobile.
1: What what are the how what other technologies and kind of big pieces do you have yeah. in your architecture? So mainly we are a Ruby-based company. We have used mainly Rails uh, for our actually mainly I mean for the our web apps we, we use Rails. Yes. We have a couple of projects that are pure Ruby because they are proce- uh, black projects for for background processing. Mm-hmm. We started them in Ruby. Uh, we are considering maybe switching to a different technology. Then, of course, I mean, front-end, there isn't a choice, right? Uh, we are currently in the process of upgrading a bit the stack because we were using uh, Backbone as mm-hmm. a library and CoffeeScript as a language because that's what was coming out with default Rails 4. Um, now we are slowly moving toward the x 6 and probably also React because mm-hmm. we see a lot of traction outside and inside the team as well mm-hmm. uh, so we would like to give it a try and mm-hmm. we hope that that will also help us uh, shape uh, improve the, our relationship with designers for example right. yeah. Um, then yeah stackwise we have a small tool reasoning goal common line tool for our Kanban board because we, we, we wrote our own Kanban board because we like to have a tool that can evolve in the process mm-hmm. and and we wrote a very little uh, command line tool in Go so that we can just, you know, create tickets, move tickets around from the command line So right. for developers, like, That's it's like great, <laughs> yeah. That's,
0: that sounds yeah. fun. Does that integrate with Slack or some messaging app? Uh, we know? do actually, we do. Yeah. like
1: This This whole thing can, can actually, so uh, Kanban basically is divided in stages, you know, and then uh, we, we, we don't do classical agile estimation, but uh, we do estimations mm-hmm. very rough based on t-shirt sizes. We do estimations to get the team. Aligned on the size of a story mm-hmm. and then you can just start say I'm starting this card from the common line and then that right. thing Automatically posts on Slack and say I'm estimating this card. Can you help me? No, that that's, so it's,
0: that yeah. sounds cool. Do you and uh, so you have a couple of different teams and you have various code bases Is that one code base per team or do you have one code base that everybody kind of contributes to?
1: Uh, it's a bit of a mixture so we have different projects so we we don't we don't work monorepo or like um, other companies do so we have different projects there are some projects that are being touched by a specific team Mm -hmm. Uh, i would say right now there is one project in particular that probably is probably only touched by the systems team and and all the rest other, the other Rails applications are, apart from the API, is probably touched by the other two teams. So there is a bit of distinction, but it's not in our head to build uh, the code base separated by teams. So we would like the people to be able to contribute uh, mm-hmm. wherever. Then, of course, I mean, the more we scale, the more we have to face the, the problem of, you know, keeping all the knowledge in your head. So probably right. we are trying to build uh, contracts around different mm-hmm. subsystems. But ideally, I mean, it's uh, we would like people to be able to contribute wherever, wherever it's needed.
0: Uh, and your flow is—is is it a pull request based flow? Yes. Do you, Do you find that? Uh, do you have any kind of challenges in terms of you know have multiple different teams contribute the same code base? Mm. If I make a pull request to something on this. Uh, on this side of the system, I'm not. I need to find somebody who also understands that part of the system yeah. to review. So maybe people are not super sure about that, or you know, not confident enough to review that part of the code. Or were you, you able to apply this kind of collective code ownership throughout, and everybody's reasonably comfortable reviewing any part of the code?
1: Uh, so there are points, there are moments when somebody doesn't feel confident. But the great thing about our team is that we really have this culture of helping each other. So. Mm-hmm. Nobody feels ashamed of saying, Hey, I want, I really want to review this pull request, but I'm afraid I don't have the knowledge about this, this part of the system. Can somebody help me, sit down with me, explain me how it was done. And usually it's the author of the pull request that actually says, okay, I'm, I'm going to help you. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, we always keep in mind this idea of sharing the knowledge, let everyone grow. So for us, it's really important that even if somebody doesn't feel confident about specific part of the code base, there is somebody to help there. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't happen that often. For example, also, uh, if we consider the the possibility of conflicts, even if we have a shared code base, we generally don't have many conflicts because, you know, in the end, it it all boils down to communication, right? Right. So communication and planning most most, uh, usually, so we really Focus a lot on communication and communication among product managers to understand how to uh, plan uh, prob- possibly epics, you no, know, plan mm-hmm. in, in a way that doesn't doesn't create conflict with the rest of the other teams. Right. And yeah.
0: what's your, I mean, maybe you have different flows within, but what's the what you consider to be the most ideal that you have right now fast to production? From I'm writing some piece of code in my machine to it's live. What are the steps that uh, an engineer would usually follow yeah. to get there?
1: Uh, so if we if we ignore the part that involves product managers, right? Mm. So the planning. Yeah, let's ignore the product. Let's managers. Let's say we have we have just a story that's ready to be worked on, and you run out to work. You go in our in our GitHub project. We have a GitHub project where we organize the uh, the features per product, and you just pick the the story that's on top of the icebox, and you just bring it in the common board. Then the first thing you do is you estimate the story. You try to gauge how big is the story, how much effort is going to take. Then once you have your own idea, you communicate this idea to the team and the team will either agree or ask questions. Why did you decide on this size? I thought it was this other size. Uh, And that's really helpful to align the team to understand what are the challenges for a specific story. Then you basically pick the story, move it to the the next column in the common board uh, and work on the code. Then when it's done, you announce that it's done, there is a phase of code review, and then when the code review is, is done, which is based on a consensus, very loose consensus uh, model, uh, somebody else is going to pick that card because one rule we have is that you can't test your own code, mm-hmm. so somebody else is going to pick that card, move it to staging, we have a staging environment, perform all the tests, hopefully the product managers also wrote a test plan for that or some test cases. We we'll test the story, and once the story is ready, uh, we we'll move it to production. Right.
0: And that's, so I'm, I'm developing code locally. I'm testing against probably local database I might have on my computer. Yeah. You might have some data seed that people use to, yeah. to create that. Then I push to, I believe you would be using GitHub for yeah. that. So yeah. you push to GitHub, merge against master, and then to deploy to staging, is it like a Capistrano deployment? Yes, we use Capistrano. Right. Uh, so yeah. you do like Capistrano deployment specific to staging. Yeah. You test it. Then once it's time to move, you Capistrano deploy against to, to production. production yeah. uh, and then when it's production, when it's in production, Do you have any kind of um, smoke test or anything that tells you, like, how do you know that you didn't break production?
1: Uh, We actually, I mean, we test everything again in production. Right. Yeah, it's still manual. We don't have any kind of uh, integration test, automated Mm -hmm. integration test right now. It's in the pipeline, but we don't have it. Uh, But so far, I mean, it's working kind of well, I would say. Mm -hmm. Like, people will test again in production, probably sometimes even more, in depth than, than staging. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's like a kind of reasonably um, new technology company. You know, we always pressure it to go for velocity, right? Like mm-hmm. we need to get time to market, it's often the most important mm-hmm. thing, which usually means that it's going to be a reasonable amount of incidents uh, that happen in production. And all companies are like that. If, if somebody says they're super stable, either they're not doing anything, they're lying. So what's when actually something went wrong, either bad deployment, or you know you learn on Twitter that one server was down and mm-hmm. whatever happened. Mm-hmm. How how is your culture on incident management and, and prevention even post small things yeah. kind of thing? How do y'all go about that?
1: Uh, so when it comes to infrastructure, actually, uh, so far we have been very very stable. Uh, probably also thanks to DigitalOcean. I mean, we had only one one issue. But usually when it comes to incident management, the way we approach the problem is safety first and um, I forgot to <laughs> say anyway I mean I, I'll explain a bit how it works um, first of all we try not to do things that uh, might, might, might put us in a risk for example we have uh, Friday deploy freezes mm-hmm. We now in recently introduced a rule not to deploy after f- half past five in the, in the afternoon, you know So we tried just not to uh, you know put ourselves in bad situations that might cause problems. We tried to plan ahead, that was the second point. Plan ahead a bit in, in the sense that, for example, f- platform wise, I think the only potential issue we had was when uh, DigitalOcean needed to do maintenance on our master database. But luckily we got informed enough in advance that we basically just plan ahead and mm-hmm. migrated the database to a new instance. Mm-hmm. And that was Was, that, was
0: that a MySQL thing where you migrate? Uh, well, actually, yeah, I Microsoft mean, we use
1: Postgres. It wasn't that easy. Mm-hmm. So we use Postgres. Um, so we basically set up a um, uh, normal hot standby Postgres mm-hmm. replication. And then at the time we didn't finish, but we took our time to introduce Pg Bouncer both on application servers and in front of the database, right. and that allowed us to basically just pause the connection, reroute them, and then resume the connection right. without any any sort of downtime.
0: That's that's great. Uh,
1: then when it comes to incidents, because yes, it happens. Even though uh, usually it's um, they happen because of bad code, like bugs in the code that are critical, that, that are blockers, and we need to fix stuff. Uh, if it's during the day, we have uh, a pretty straightforward policy that is whenever somebody shouts and figure out something is broken, it's it's usually uh, a product decision, but the, the rule is you revert the code. Mm-hmm. So the first thing to do is get to a safe point. So we usually revert the code, then we, if the issue, we feel like the issue is not super critical, but can wait maybe five minutes, mm-hmm. uh, we talk with product managers and we decide if, do we want to revert or maybe we just put on a not fix so that the feature right. is still live, but we fix it right away. Um, so it's kind of
0: decision between, is this an incident or it's it a bug?
1: Yeah, yeah. Because in the end, I mean, it, it all boils down. Is this thing affecting the customers? Is it affecting our uh, our teammates in other departments? Are we blocking someone? Or is it just not not optimal and we can fix this mm-hmm. right away? No? Most of the times uh, we revert. Sometimes we also fix bugs. Then when it comes to the weekend, um, we actually have a, we don't have an on-call on, on policy in the sense that everyone is on-call. Right. Because as I said, for us, the most important thing is Running the platform, developers, engineers need to feel the ownership of the platform. And honestly, I think that being everyone being on call, not having the ball passed down to someone else, Mm -hmm. also lets you think a bit more about the code you're writing, and also about the 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 decision you are taking when it comes to deployments. For example, because if it's Friday evening and you know that if something goes wrong because you are deploying a feature that might impact what the people in our production centers are doing on Saturday, you think it twice. If then you have to wake up on Saturday, and fix it. So
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And what's the, what's next in terms of technology for you all, what are the things that you're looking at that you think could be not only shiny new toys, but actually yeah. could make a difference for your workflow and productivity? Yeah.
1: So we are looking, as I said, we can start from the front end. We are looking to react. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we feel like we are not productive enough uh, when it comes to touching the, the front-end code base. So React, we think we could help also new people joining. Uh, it could help us avoid taking... It's a bit of a bad way of putting it, but I would say avoiding taking certain architectural decisions. Uh, it doesn't mean we don't want to take architectural decisions, but you know having a bit of a more... Solid and straightforward way right. of designing. You don't need to decide end. everything or yeah, something. Free you know, like some, some of the, the brain power to take right. other architecture. Yeah, like decisions. the commodity architecture is already yeah, decided exactly. by the framework. Uh, then also had the relationship with the, the designers. We are still talking and implementing a living style guide to componentize everything and change everything at the same time. Like each component changes across the whole board in mm-hmm. one, one shot. Uh, then when it comes to the backend, we are actually uh, implementing uh, like we implemented a Kafka cluster, mm-hmm. and we have some consumers already. We are replicating some data between um, the, the the main user-facing application and the application that uh, takes care of the helps the production centers. So we, right. we have a sort of ETL um, step, if you want to call it like that. Um, and that's probably the, the area where we are going to focus the most because there is a lot there are a lot of things, a lot of opportunities we see there in, in terms of improvements of stuff we already have, moving it to, to Kafka mm-hmm. for third party integration.
0: So it's like whenever some there's a state change. You yeah. get serialized or some shape. We
1: actually listen, uh, we use a tool called Bottle Water, mm. uh, which is a connector for uh, Postgres that uses the write-ahead logs of Postgres right. and streams uh, database. Right, it, it sounds the like
0: the, the exact um, LinkedIn architecture for yeah. Kafka from the beginning. Although yeah. I, mean, I think, I believe it was Oracle and MySQL that they had mm. back then. Yeah, that's that, that's super interesting. Do you are you all um, doing anything around uh, containers? Is this something that's on the radar? Well, uh,
1: we we started implementing uh, something with Docker because uh, since we we implemented this Kafka cluster, Kafka is not the easiest tool to handle in development, no. Uh, and people do need it. Like if they have to write the consumers project, they need a Kafka cluster mm-hmm. running, right? So. Um, for that we we felt a sort of immediate need so we started to to use Docker for that but actually it's something we are talking for about a year I think that is we would like to uh, maybe have an integration project and we see Docker being a great fit for that Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. example Um, where you could just decide on the architecture your local architecture you want to spin up the kind of branches you want to to run Mm -hmm. and have Docker do it you know, in a quick way, Uh, potentially we could also have something to do with Docker in production. We I think it's a bit far away in time, but uh, I mean, we we have the the interesting part is that since we are a, a weekly subscription business, we do have very precise spikes in load, no? Right. Uh, so, for example, every every week we have to create orders for all the countries, A different point in times. But still, if you look at the graphs, the, the, there are still uh, mm-hmm. spikes. And for example, Docker would help there uh, because then we could just. Reshape the the the, the workload That's and amazing. have scale scale the, the machines based on the workload. And how do
0: you go about local development? Are you using vagrant or something else to set up, or you do manually set up your machine for? local uh, development?
1: Well, for now it's it's just local uh, because in the end, uh, if we keep like all the pieces independently, they don't have many dependencies. Mm-hmm. They can it's pretty easy. We we all use uh, osx, so it's also easy to install certain dependencies. Mm-hmm. For example, we use Bistock as a, as a job queue. Probably if you were using Windows, that would have been a bit hard to manage a dependency, but we was actually just use Ombrew and install it very easily. But eventually we would like to move everything to Docker. We are using Vagrant uh, when it comes to infrastructural changes, but it's, it's showing its limits right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's getting harder and harder to bootstrap a machine. If you want to bootstrap, maybe two or three machines, then it becomes a bit complicated on, on a single laptop. So yeah, probably Docker is, is the choice for, for
0: that. Okay. So Stefano, to wrap up, um, as an engineering leader, if you are either like starting from scratch mm-hmm. or I don't know your next iteration, what you are doing, what are uh, what are things you you do differently on a second on a second iteration? Um. For a
1: start, I would focus more on this uh, broader knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, I believe that engineers o- of the future won't be able to focus on a single language, a single technology anymore. Uh, they will need to be able to adapt, you know? um, second of all. I will put even more focus on on communication. Uh, like code is the is the easy part; it's the last part. Writing code. What's hard is actually make people talk to each other mm-hmm. and let them figure out where the problems are. Uh, and also focus on on their growth. You know, like. I know we have to run a business, uh, there are requirements, there is the market demanding, there are probably investors, but that's, that comes naturally, you no, know? like the pressure from that side comes naturally because of natural reasons mm-hmm. called money. Right. Uh, and that's why I will, I will rather keep focusing more on, on, on people and their, their growth path, because sometimes, uh, it, it happens that the business, uh, falls a bit short from the point of view. Yeah, that's great. Well,
0: thank you so much for your time. This yeah, is this a good. fascinating story. How you how you were to shape your teams It's such an interesting business model, very different from your typical startup that only has maybe the, the uh, customer facing side mm-hmm. without the the complex of the, the um, warehouses and things like that. Yeah, thanks for your time. And uh, yeah, see you next time.
1: Yeah, thanks to you. It was a nice talk.